0: I'm so glad that she was able to come today, and our elder, Tom Ketterling, with us here today. I'm so glad that Tom was able to come, too. I want to speak today about uh, Christian giving and the local church, and I want to start out on a personal note. You know, for many years, I didn't preach about giving. I didn't preach about giving, and I had two main reasons. Number one, there were so many begging for money and so many charlatans ripping people off of their money that I I didn't even want to give a hint of doing that. And then the other reason was the people that I have been pastoring are so generous that I didn't want anybody to think I was dissatisfied with what they were giving. So I didn't hardly ever mention it. But then, you know, all this time I'm preaching through books in the New Testament and I'm seeing large sections in God's Word dealing with the subject of giving. And I had one of those shame on you, Paul, thoughts that, you know, I don't have the option to not preach about Christian giving because it's a big part of God's word. So today I have the privilege of addressing that subject with all of us, Christian giving and the local church. And since I've discovered that there's way too much to say about that subject in one message, I'm just going to hit some principles here and there Uh, this afternoon. Let's start out by talking about what we call our giving as Christians. We call it giving to the Lord. And somebody may have had the thought, how can you call that giving to the Lord when you're giving it to your church? Well, remember everything you heard this morning from our two speakers this morning, and I think you'll see how that's exactly what it is. Because God has given the local church. And the local church are his hands and feet through which he works in this world to bring those to himself that he has chosen. But in order to do this, we give money through our local church. That's where we ought to be giving. But now, what about the fact that the Lord doesn't need one penny from us. Listen to a familiar statement in Psalm 50, verses 10 to 12. This is what we read. God is speaking, and he says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and all the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry... I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. And there's a lot of other passages like that in the Bible. The point being, God can do anything he wants and get everything done that he wants without either us or our money. So why then is there giving? Because that's the way God wants to do it. He wants to use us. He is building the church, as we heard this morning. He's the one who's doing these things. And so when you start to think about it that way, you start to realize, wait a minute, giving is an enormous privilege for the Christian. You know, some of us may have heard missionaries speak or read missionary biographies, perhaps, and you're saying to yourself, man, Didn't those people do a fantastic work for the Lord? But, you know, somebody had to help them be able to continue to do what they were doing, right? They had to have some funds. They had to have food and clothes and all their needs be met, and they needed money. And just think of it. You and I can play a role in the the Lord's work by giving money by giving money. And when you think of it that way, you're getting to do something you really want to do as a Christian and something you're able to do because the Lord is giving you money and you can use money and give to the Lord's work. And you know, the result of that will be cheerfully giving to the Lord. Once you get the mindset that God has let me in on this privilege. Once you start looking at it that way, you will really look forward to giving, and that will make you do it cheerfully. I want to read for you a passage that is maybe one of the best in the Bible on the subject of giving. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 5 to 7, and this is what we read. Therefore... I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully, will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. We could maybe sum up one part of that by saying, God loves it when we love giving. And that's the truth. He loves it when we catch on to the fact that we can be something like him in giving. And so another element of our giving then should be that it's done generously, not only cheerfully, but generously. You know, reminds me about the story of the guy who took his family to church, and as the plate was being passed For the offering, you know, he had a $5 bill in his hand, and when the plate got to him, he's digging around in the plate, and his wife's going, What are you doing? And he says, Looking for change. (laughs) You know, you see, brethren, I grew up with that kind of mentality. We need to realize that when you get set free, with the idea that you're giving to God and his work. You want to give cheerfully, and you want to give generously. Now, I'm not going to tell you today how much to give. That's between you and the Holy Spirit of God. And you know what? I am convinced the Holy Spirit will convict all of us to give generously. And I say that in light of what Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 8, when he said, freely you have received, freely give. Now think about it. What have we received? Oh, the forgiveness of our sins, eternal life, being with God forever, being delivered from sin, loving God with all our being. That's all going to happen. What have we received with God's unspeakable gift of Christ? But you know, as an encouragement, the Bible talks about the fact that something very wonderful happens to our hearts when we give generously. And you know what that is? The more we In response to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the more we generously give, you know what happens? The more and more attached to the things of God we get and the less and less attached we get to the things of this world. Let me read for us how Jesus put this in his famous statement on this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. This is what our Lord said. No way around it. You could give yourself self-diagnosis on where your treasure is. Just ask yourself, what's most important to me? That's all we have to do. That's all we have to do. So you see Jesus' point. Once the things of the Lord become that which you value the most, then your heart is going to be more and more attached to them, and they will be what you treasure. On the other hand, The more our hearts are attached to this world, the more stingy we will become in our giving because our hearts will be on the things here. It's just what's going to happen. It's how it's going to happen. You know, and this is why I don't ask unbelievers to give. I don't ask them to give because think about it. They don't know the Lord. They aren't right with God. They couldn't possibly be moved to give from a motivation to glorify God or out of love for him. Their giving would be just another filthy rag of human works. So we don't ask them to give. Now, I want to give what I think will help us a lot, two examples from the Bible of giving, of generous giving. I thought about doing a third. I know today in our morning messages we heard about the early church and in those passages that we were told you will find how the wealthier believers would even sell properties, homes, whatever, in order to be able to take care of the ones who were needy and that would be an excellent one to focus on. But I want to focus on two others, the first one being the churches. Of Macedonia, And now I would ask, if you have a Bible and you'd like to follow, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 1 to 5, a little bit longer passage this time. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. And this is talking about the Macedonian churches, which were made up of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. All right, now look what Paul says to them. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Three things. This would would be a whole message by itself, don't you think? But three things from what we just read that I want to stress. First of all, The people in the Macedonian churches were themselves financially in difficulty. Plus, what other difficulties of affliction they were facing was probably persecution for being being believers in Christ. But it says in the midst of those circumstances and conditions, they uh, they had abundance of joy. Makes you realize, doesn't it, that Joy doesn't have to be related to what we're going through. But that's these people, they had abundance of joy. They were new believers, and that was the all consuming thing to them that they belonged to Jesus. The second thing I stress here is that how generously they gave. Notice that we just read that it says they themselves were what we would call financially strapped, right? They were having a hard time making end meets. And yet, look what they were doing. My Bible says, imploring. I like better. They were begging. They were begging Paul to let them give. That's what they were doing. Paul, please let us give to these worthy things you're taking up a collection for to help brethren and needy Jews back in Jerusalem. Let us be a part of that, Paul. That's how much they wanted to, even though you wonder where was it going to come from when they had next to nothing. The third thing I would emphasize from this passage about their giving is what impressed Paul the most, and it's, I'll reread again verse 5. It says, and not only as we had hoped did they give, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Now we're getting to the heart of things. They gave themselves to the Lord. It's not that hard to give money when you got a bunch of money. But it is hard to give of yourself. That has to be done by the grace of God and the spirit of God helping us. Because we would all rather be stingy, be selfish, whatever, but they gave themselves. You know, if we could just say something like this, brethren, Lord, I thank you so much for saving me. When you saved me, you bought me for your own possession. I don't belong to myself anymore, Lord. I belong to you. Therefore, Lord, do with me whatever you want, and my time, my talents, my money, My things and all that I am and all that I have is at your disposal to do with as you please. If we could only. You know, I might do that for 30 seconds and then I'm off not doing it again. But, oh, that's the essence of what these Macedonian churches were doing. They were giving themselves to the Lord. So you see, giving is so much more than giving our money. It's giving ourselves. The local church needs all of us and all of each one of us. You see, it needs us, our time, our talents, our help, our brains, our prayers, our money. That's what we ought to be giving to the Lord through the wonderful means he's given us in the local church. And that is, some point, brethren, we got to taste giving sacrificially. We got to taste that. You know, Jesus talked about that widow, remember, who threw in her mite. And he compared the others. Now, the others were putting in hundreds, hundreds, maybe even thousands of times more than the widow put in. But what made her gift so precious in Jesus' mind is the sacrifice that was involved in it. She just wanted to give. And she gave the little that she had. You know, something stood out to me. Recently, in a message that I heard, and the preacher was talking about Jesus on the cross. And you'll remember this scene as soon as I start to read it here, but I want you to see what was something of deep concern on Jesus' mind, other than having to bear our sins, while he was on the cross. And this is how it goes in John 19, 25 to 27, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. Now, let me ask you, brethren, why didn't Jesus just assign one of his brothers to that? He had brothers. Mary had other sons. Why not just say to one of them, take care of mom when I'm gone? No, he says it to John. Why John, the disciple whom he loved? Why? Because he knew probably that his brothers weren't yet believers and that John would care about his mother's soul as well as her body. And he would give spiritual guidance and love and help to Mary. And he wanted her in that kind of home when he wouldn't be around anymore. Really something, isn't it? that Jesus was thinking about that while on the cross. We all know that some have made amazing sacrifices. And I think they were of the persuasion of what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The other example that I would like us to think about of giving is the Lord Jesus himself. You'll be familiar with these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become Rich. What is it that makes Jesus the supreme example to us? It's who he is. Why should the one who made everything, the one to whom everything owes allegiance and worship and honor and glory, why would that one become poor? Come to a place where None of the recognition he received in heaven was being given or very little of it. Why would he become poor? Well, the verse tells us, doesn't it? So that we might become rich through his becoming poor. Now, let's be careful here. What do we mean by that we might become rich? I'm sure... You've all heard some messages guarding against, using a passage like that to say, see, Jesus wants us all to be healthy, wealthy, and big bank accounts, never get sick. And we're tired of hearing that, I know. But you know, brethren, let's not miss what it does mean that we be rich. It means that we know God better and love him more and live more for Jesus and become more like him every day and look forward to our heavenly home when we'll be leaving all of our tendencies to sin behind and we will see him face to face. That's what we want. That's what we're looking forward to. He did it to make us spiritually rich. Spiritually rich, rich in the things of God and his blessings to us. And so I move on to another principle, and that is you can't make God your debtor by giving. Thank God, you know, we're, we're having this conference at this time of year for a Definite reason, aren't we? Because we're so thankful to God that he worked in some, a few men's hearts to bring the light of the gospel back that salvation is not by buying indulgences, as uh, my friend here and I were talking about at lunch. He, we're not buying indulgences or by any good work that you could possibly do because our good works are all filthy rags. But we know that it was the rediscovery of that simple, beautiful gospel we love that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And we love it. And we we can't hear it too often. We love to think about it together. But you know, we still live in a world where the vast majority think you ingratiate yourself with God and get brownie points by doing good things, like giving money. Like giving, that's probably at the top of the list of ways to get right, or at least towards that goal of getting right with God by giving money. And you and I have to be careful because I would suggest that we have a tendency, even though we know better, to fall in with that thinking. Have you ever done that where maybe you gave an extra amount to the work of the Lord one time, and you're thinking, now what's God going to do for me? I mean, you would never dare to say it, but don't those thoughts go through your mind? What's he going to do for me now? Because I've been so generous toward his work. And so we need to constantly remember, we don't make God a debtor. You know what? Think about this. Not only is giving our privilege, it's also our duty. And if we did it exactly the way we ought to, which is unlikely that we ever do, but if we did it perfectly, we'd only be doing what we're supposed to do. And then think about this. Every single thing we give to the Lord, he gave to us first. We're just giving back to him what he gave to us so, give cheerfully, give generously, and just say, Lord, I just love to give. Please use it in a way that will glorify your name and further your work on this earth. Please, Lord, do that with what I give. And you know, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. Jesus said these words. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Don't you think, brethren, that there won't be a single believer in heaven who says, I wish I hadn't given so much? Really? We will all be saying, oh, that I had been more gripped by the privilege that was being given to me. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's what we'll be thinking. But I don't think we'll have any regrets in heaven either. So maybe we won't be thinking that. Now, I want to close on a note just to make something very clear that when you talk about giving, it's ripe for being misunderstood, as I was saying a few minutes ago, thinking that, oh, so you're giving us another way to become right with God. And I just want to close on a note to make sure nobody thinks that I'm saying that or that the Bible is saying that. The Christian gives not in order to try to ingratiate himself with God to make God like him, or to earn the favor of God. The Christian gives out of gratitude because it's all been done for him in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason we Christians give to the Lord. It's not to pay God back. It's to thank God for the privilege of being able to thank him in those ways. Because you see, friends, salvation is a free gift it is a free gift just two passages that will ring a bell with you romans 6:23 for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord and then ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, even the faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And I ask you in closing have you received the free gift? Have you received the free gift? But if you've really received it, I know you've gone through two things. Number one, your sin wasn't just, oh yeah, I'm a sinner. But there came a point where you were deeply, deeply convicted that you have offended the holy God by your sin. And that you desperately need help outside of yourself. There's not a thing that any of us can do even to make a contribution toward our salvation. But the other is that you've been shown by the Lord through his word that none but Jesus can do a helpless sinner good. And you have fled to him and said, Save me, dear Lord. Wash my sins away by what you did on the cross and make me your own. Shall we pray together? Oh, Lord, how can we say thanks for all the things you have done for us? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for us. Lord, I think Pastor Mike likes to use that word amazed, and now we see why it's such a great word. Because, Lord, how else can we describe You're saving us. Lord, when we know where we ought to be going, when we know how terribly we have offended you, oh, God, thank you for grace. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your unspeakable gift. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.